This is Aspiring Altruists, the show where you'll hear the stories of young professionals in the nonprofit sector working to change the world. We'll dive into their backgrounds, hear about the work they do, and ultimately learn how they got to where they are and how you can do the same. With the nonprofit sector comprising one of the largest U.S. workforces by tackling the world's biggest problems across nine major categories, you may just hear something that could change your life, and through it, the lives of countless others. Today's episode is a special one because it features a guest who both, until very recently, worked for a nonprofit organization as well as having founded his own, Don Abram. At the time of our conversation, Don was a program manager for Interfaith America, an organization that aims to inspire, equip, and connect individuals and institutions to unlock the potential of America's religious diversity. But Don is also the founder and executive director of Pride in the Pews, a grassroots nonprofit bridging the gap between the black church and the LGBTQ plus community. Our conversation dives into Don's faith background and how he's using his personal experience to try and change the world that he's a part of. This is a good one, so let's dive in. So Don, thanks for coming on the show. Can you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about the role that you're in and the organization that you work for? Adam, thanks so much for the invite. I'm truly thrilled to be here and and I'm happy to share. My name is Don Abram and I have a dual role currently. I I am a program manager at an organization called Interfaith America. uh, And the goal and impetus behind that organization is to make interfaith cooperation in the United States the norm. And shortly um, into, at a, Shortly after um, I arrived at IA, I began my own nonprofit uh, entitled uh, Pride in the Pews. Uh, and the goal there is to really bridge the gap between the Black church and the LGBTQ plus community uh, to promote uh, really conversation and action, uh, both in Black churches and in the public square Uh so that's the overall and overarching uh, mission of the organization, uh, and it's one that's near and dear to my heart as a queer son of the Black Church. Mm. Yeah, sounds like you've got quite the story here, so I'm excited to dive in. Uh, focusing first on well, the first thing that you mentioned there, we were talking about your program manager role. What does that involve kind of in the day-to-day? What does that role look like? I spend a lot of time partnering with institutions of higher learning, as well as community partners around ways that they might be able to engage interfaith cooperation to advance the social good. So mm-hmm. often I am cultivating relationships, building partnerships, uh, awarding grants uh, to interfaith leaders who are carrying out work uh, to bridge uh, the gap across lines of difference uh, in a wide array of sectors. So that can be higher ed. It's also community-based and community-specific. Uh, it's also been in more uh, conservative religious traditions uh, that have been in some ways hesitant to engage uh, in interfaith lens or approach. Uh, and I provide uh, resources and opportunities for them to deepen and expand their commitment to interfaith cooperation. Nice. Yeah, well, I know it's certainly, I mean, for my role, also being the nonprofit sector, working with various different organizations, also relationships, as you mentioned, there are key building those connections with those outside of the organizations that you can be effective and 
getting your uh, mission out there, kind of accomplishing the mission and yeah, just overall advancing the cause. Absolutely. And without relationships, uh, all the work that we would be doing is to no avail. I mean, I think that's one of the really powerful aspects of nonprofit work in particular. Mm -hmm. It has to be done in and with community. Uh, You cannot operate in silos or simply uh, systematize, right? Your impact in ways that are devoid of humanity and human relationship and connection. Uh, And so that's, you're absolutely right. That's really the bread and butter of of the work that we do. Yeah, especially when it's often as a nonprofit organization, you are trying to serve a community. So being connected to this community in relationship ways really allows you to make sure the work that you're doing is having the impact that you want it to have. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. Well, shifting there to the second thing you had mentioned in regards to, yeah, you're the founder of the organization Pride in the Pews. So tell us a little bit about what led you to start that. I'd love to, Adam. So I grew up in a hand clapping, toe tapping black church on the south side of Chicago. Mm. And every single Sunday, my Jamaican Patois speaking grandmother would drag me to church. And Adam, I can tell you right now, I abhorred it. (laughs) I thought of every excuse in the book um, as to why I could not go to church, including not finding matching socks or the right tie, uh, none of which worked. Uh, Mm -hmm. My grandmother would still drag me to church. And at some point, I began to love it. I found community. I found safety. And I even found purpose. Uh, And at the age of 14, I was called to preach. Mm began preaching across the city of Chicago and later across the country as folks were really excited about this young man who was on fire for God. Mm. At the same time that I was called to preach, I also began to more intentionally explore my sexuality. Mm. Uh, And I came to later call it queerness. But what I knew instinctively as a young 14-year-old itinerant preacher was that I could not embody the truth of my calling and my queerness at Mm. the same time. Because if I did, I would not only lose my community, but I would lose the thing I cared about most at that time. And that was my ministry. Mm. Because in my faith tradition, queerness is not sanctioned by God. Queerness is not um, a way of moving through the world that God delights in or gets Mm. pleasure from. And so it is something that you should rid yourself of or police or control um, because it's not God's will for your life. Mm. And so I knew that embodying the truth of that would cause me to really be, in some ways, rejected by my community. So for many years, Adam, I did not embody my truth. Mm. I matriculated through college, uh, and it wasn't until I arrived at Harvard Divinity School where I was really able to unpack uh, theologies that are really rooted in dehumanization and reconstruct a theology that spoke to the fullness of who I am. And that was a turning point for me because I was finally able to have access to language that affirmed me and uh, that encouraged me to leverage the power inherent in my intersecting identities to change the world. Hmm. And even though I was thrilled about having access to this, 
there was one nagging question that I couldn't get rid of. And that was, what about my grandma's church? Mm-hmm. What about the individuals who gave me my faith? Are they too not entitled to these sorts of conversations around gender and sexuality and how we understand God? Mm-hmm. And so shortly after the George Floyd protests, I found myself frustrated uh, with the Black church because it seemed as if we weren't on the front lines of the most pressing social justice issues of our time. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we weren't thinking about it intersectionally if we were there. Mm-hmm. And Black, queer, and trans folk were not a part of the conversation, even though we were equally, if not more, susceptible to all sorts of social ills in society. Right. So after really wrestling with how I respond to this moment, I spoke with a colleague of mine from uh, Harvard Divinity School, and he said, you know, I find your vision and passion so inspiring, and I'd like to give you a $40,000 check to do something about it and to make Mm -hmm. it a reality. And that's how Pride in the Pews began. Yeah, well, that is quite the quite the background story. I'm sure, yeah, as I've seen, haven't experienced in the same way you have, but have seen from being in the church myself for pretty much all my life, I've seen the different challenges that are have to be navigated in all the different ways, whether it's, yeah, gender identities or racial lines or just all the things that, of course, historically, yeah. uh, it's always the challenge within the church of trying to actually live up to what we're called to live up to. And everybody seems to have different ideas of what that actually means. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, what do you hope to ultimately accomplish both through the day job that you have, as well as through Pride and Abuse? There are a couple of things I, I want to accomplish in both roles. And mm. uh, as you might be able to tell from the description of both, they are intimately connected. Right. Because ultimately, the argument that we're making is that religion is an identity that we have to acknowledge and name in the services that we offer, in the world that we build, in the communities that we create. Religious identity matters. It informs our values. It informs the way that we think about the world around us. And by the way, religious institutions enjoy an incredible amount of power and influence in our country. And so if we want to effectively engage in bridge building, if we want to effectively tackle the issues of our time, we have to be engaged with faith communities. And for me, specifically in my role as the founder and executive director of Pride in the Pews, I'm interested in making sure that we have a nationwide network of Black LGBTQ plus leaders and allies committed to LGBTQ plus non-discrimination and to social justice more broadly. And so our ultimate goal is to build a robust nationwide active network of faith leaders committed, broadly speaking, to justice and equity and who can be mobilized in moments of both crisis, but also in moments of peace. All right, where we are hoping to simply build uh, as a community productively uh, to meet the needs of our time. And so that's the the goal, as I see it, broadly speaking, really making the case 
and saying that religion is a funda- fundamental part of our world uh, and a fundamental part of the way that people think about themselves in relation to and with their community. And as I think about my role as executive director and founder of Pride in the Pews, I'm interested in making the argument that the Black church must, must recognize uh, the role of gender and sexuality uh, Mm -hmm. in the way that it carries out its service to the community and invite the church to engage in intersectional activism that honors the lives of Black LGBTQ plus Christians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you've certainly thought deeply through that. I mean, there is... There's a lot there. Uh, I don't envy the just sort of the challenges ahead in doing that, but that's really exciting to hear. Yeah, leading from what you described of uh, your personal background, getting ignited more so in terms of taking action by the George Floyd protests back in 2020. And just mm-hmm. it's definitely interesting to see all of the different things and all the changes that were started through that and will hopefully be continuing to play out and making an impact in creating change in the years ahead, especially as we all sort of slowly shift more towards what does the world look like as uh, COVID shifts towards endemic and various things of that regard. Like what, what's, what's next, what's next for work, what's next for our faith, what's next for social justice. Uh, Yeah. Especially among all the different, challenging that and uh tackling yeah all those issues in the across the divides that exist and seem to be growing in our Mm -hmm. society today Um, yes i i couldn't agree with you more and i would even argue that because of the unprecedented and historic times that we are collectively experiencing, I think now is an opportune time for us to reimagine the way that we build community, reimagine the way that we show up for one another. Uh, And if the pandemic has taught us anything and even the rise in uh, monkeypox uh, is that we are inextricably connected and bound to one another. Yeah. And so as we carry out our work, let's always remember that we are not living or operating in silos. That which is done to one is also done to the other. And we should move in ways that honor our interconnectedness. Right. Yeah. And of course, as people of faith, that is not a new concept. (laughs) No, not at all. I mean, we've had some trouble practicing it. (laughs) Mm, As we have many of the the (laughs) But that's, uh, I guess we're... Uh, grace usually comes in in that yes. regard yes i mean that, our, yes our fallen humanity yes fundamentally that's where grace falls in and and it's really i would argue uh, the ethos of, of pride in the pews i mean there are many people who ask me well don why do you go back to the place that didn't affirm you why do you mm-hmm. go back to the place that rejected you why do you go back to the place that does not have the skills right to love mm-hmm. you fully And I argue that for me, this is uh, really an act of reclamation. It is me reclaiming my place in these communities. It is me inviting the communities that raised and reared me to reimagine how it shows up for me. And in order to do this work well, I mean, in order to really engage in bridge building effectively, 
I have to operate from a place of grace. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's fundamentally rooted in my own faith. Hmm. Well, what is something that uh, you feel the listeners here should know specifically about your cause? Like if they have an interest in it as well, face similar challenges or have faith backgrounds and are looking to get involved in creating social justice change through it or yeah, through their work. What do you think there's something they should know? Well, the, the executive director in me uh, wants to let those listening know that we cannot do this without uh, your support. Hmm. Uh, and many times organizations like ours have a difficult time securing funding, hmm. either grant funding or individual funding and contributions uh, that enable us to do the work well. And so if you are listening and you believe that this work is important and necessary and timely, I invite you to consider giving to the organization on a regular and, and recurring basis. But I also invite you to think about how you might be able to amplify uh, the work and mission of Pride in the Pews, not just by contributing financially or even perhaps attending some of our events or panel conversations or symposiums, but how might you begin to elevate the experience and wisdom and insight of Black LGBTQ plus people of faith, broadly speaking, mm -hmm. recognizing that we uniquely have something to offer to the conversation. Recognizing that in so many ways, Black LGBTQ plus Christians have contributed to this world uh, in incalculable ways. I'm thinking about Polly Murray, uh, who was the legal architect for Brown v. Board of Education. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about Ruby Sales, who was a phenomenal, phenomenal civil rights leader working in the 1960s and 70s, and even today, advancing civil rights for Black folk, but also for all Americans. I'm thinking about folk like Bayard Rustin, uh, who was the architect of the March on Washington and close advisor to Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Hmm. One thing that these folks all have in common is that they were Black LGBTQ plus people of faith. Hmm. And so I invite you to consider how we right? Our insights, our legacy, our stories might be able to provide a path forward, uh, regardless of where you are or the sort of work that you do. Hmm. Uh, yeah, those all sound certainly various impactful ways uh, to be getting involved in that regard. What about from flipping it over to your your day job of, of what you're doing over at Interfaith America in regards to having an interest uh, if they have an interest in yeah that kind of connecting the connecting like you described there from a from a faith focused organization yes yes so i would say that the work that we do at interfaith america is really spurring inspiration uh mm -hmm. to engage in interfaith cooperation and uh more concretely leveraging the the tools that interfaith cooperation inherently embodies to contribute to some of the most uh, pressing issues of our time. And so as of right now, we are working with institutions of higher learning um, around, for example, uh, a grant uh, aimed at working with HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities and Hispanic serving institutions to engage in action around public health and interfaith cooperation. 
Uh, and so uh, we have a host of grant opportunities that are available for colleges and universities, uh, but also in some cases for interfaith leaders, generally speaking, who recognize the importance of leveraging all that is good about one's faith tradition uh, to create more inclusive and just societies. And so if you are someone who's intrigued, uh, who is interested in learning more about this interfaith thing, um, I invite you to, to visit our website at interfaithamerica.org uh, and peruse uh, the opportunities, which are many, uh, for you to, to get connected with us. Uh, and I, uh, I certainly am someone who will be uh, right there to answer the call or email um, as, as you reach out. Nice. Thanks for sharing that. And I'll ask you the here the question that I ask all of my guests, you know, as a young nonprofit professional, if there were one thing you could share with your fellow young adult audience that's listening out there, what would that be? It would be to remain committed to the thing that makes you come alive. There's a phenomenal scholar and thinker and theologian who was a mentor of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, and his name was Howard Thurman. And Howard Thurman said, quote, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go do that. Because what the world needs are people who have come alive. Mm. And so as you're thinking about your own career path, Think about the thing that makes you come alive and then go do it. Hmm. But the addendum to that is don't do it at the expense of yourself. As you're carrying out the work that you feel called to, that you feel passionate about, remain equally as committed to ensuring that you are healthy, that you are thriving, that you are attending to your own needs as well. Because the good that you're able to do in the world is contingent upon how well you're able to take care of yourself. Yeah, that is certainly the challenge that is often faced in the mission-focused field is just wanting to give and give and commit to the cause and feel like it's all on your shoulders kind of thing and how that can lead to burnout and realizing that it is, as with all things in life, the balance between accomplishing things for the greater good as well as accomplishing things and maintaining yourself. So, yes, yes. Words of there. Well, that's just about all I've got for you today. But how can people best connect with you if they'd like to learn more? Yes. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our website at www.prideinthepews.com. You can also follow us on social media, TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram at Pride in the Pews. Uh, and you'll be able to connect with all the work that we're doing uh, and the ways in which we're hoping to create more affirming spaces for LGBTQ plus Christians, both within and outside of the Black church. Well, I will certainly, as always, put the links to both Pride in the Pews as well as Interfaith America down in the show notes and kind of the ways that people can connect with you there so that people can yeah, learn more and get involved. Thanks for sharing quite the, quite the story that you've got and taking the time to come on the show. Thank you so much for the invitation. This conversation was a joy and delight, and I pray that it helps someone. Alrighty, thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to today's show. 
Hopefully you learned something new about the work happening in the nonprofit sector and were inspired to get involved. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening from. If you want to learn more about today's guest, how you can contact them and explore the organization they work for, check out the show notes. That'll do it for this episode. Come back next time to hear from yet another aspiring optimist.